and welcome to another edition of the Global Liberty Alliance podcast. This is your host, Jason Poblet, coming to you from Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from Washington, D.C. Thank you all for joining us again. And today we're really excited. We have a very special guest from Miami, my former hometown, uh, who is an international lawyer. Her name is Maria Herrera Mellado. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. Hello, Maria. How are you doing? Hello, good morning, Jason. That's, that's correct. Maria okay. Herrera Mellado. <laughs> there we go. So Maria is uh, like a fellow lawyer. She is licensed to practice law in several U.S. states, and she also happens to uh, be, uh, be, she's licensed to practice law in Spain. Uh, she's done uh, work at the United Nations, has been trained to do work before the European Commission out in Brussels. Uh, she has spent more than a decade uh, working in a space where she's advising companies and individuals on foreign direct investment, social and economic development, and the practice of international law, which uh, helps companies, for example, uh, locate in the United States or do business around the world, mitigate risk and that sort of thing. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that in, in, in a second. Uh, but Maria also is a graduate of the University of Granada Law School, which is a, an excellent institution in Spain. And um, she's uh, published in business and it's an interesting combination. And we're gonna ask a little bit about that in a minute. But first of all, Maria, welcome. How are you doing? And how are things down in Miami with after that, hurric <laughs> after that hurricane? You had two hurricanes, you had a political hurricane but you also had a hurricane actually pass through there a few days ago. <laughs> I'm very good. That's true. We have been, uh, you know, through a lot <laughs> these past couple of months and um, everything is, is good in Miami. We're recovering for, from this political hurricane and uh, very happy to start this new, you know, this new season. <laughs> we're going into a new season, but we're not even over. You know, the, a lot of folks listening to this will be uh, listening from outside the United States. And by the time they listen to this, I doubt the election will have been settled here. So we still have the electoral college to go through. And there's still a, a lot of discussion about how this is unfolding. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, yes. how, how did you, first of all, how did you come to practice law? Why, and and you, you've published uh, this magnificent uh, dissertation. It's an over 400 page study, by the way, for folks who want to read it, uh, about the 2008 financial crisis. And you made some interesting comments about, which we'll, uh, I'll ask you that after you tell us how you came to the law, but what drew you first to law, rule of law, human rights work? Why, why do you like it so much? Well, I moved to the U.S., over 10 years ago, and I thought I would be practicing, practicing business law. And uh, when I arrived to Tampa, because I got a scholarship from Stetson University College of Law in St. Petersburg, uh, near Tampa, I was uh, in my first semester researching for my PhD degree. And uh, one uh, attorney approached me and offered me a job as a law clerk for an immigration um, practice. I was not very enthusiastic at the beginning because I never saw myself practicing immigration law, human rights. I, my dad is a banker. My mom worked for the federal government in Spain and I was, uh, you know, thought I would be doing more corporate um, law. But um, the moment I start uh, practicing and, and seeing the job they were doing, I got, um, I got interested because I saw uh, how many millions of dollars immigration practice um, you know, in the U.S. moves. 
and also because I, I saw that as a Spanish um, attorney and Hispanic America, I could make a difference in the in Hispanic lives. So that got my attention and um, I completed my PhD and uh, I got accepted into the Juris Doctor degree uh, program in Arizona. And uh, being at the border, you know, um, I signed up for the human rights clinic and I practiced for a couple of years um, human trafficking law. And that complemented with my business uh, degree because at some point, you know, immigration is, is more than uh, human rights. It's also business. So uh, I was I was very interested in all uh, all this at the That's same great. time. That's great. Now you so you end up going to Stetson, and for a lot of folks don't know this, but Stetson is the first law school in the state of Florida. Yes, uh, and, and the number one oral advocacy, you know, uh, law school in the United States. I was I was surprised the level of, you know, those uh, prospective attorney was amazing. Yeah, it's been around for almost I think more than a hundred years now, and. Um, it's a, a small law school up in Gulfport. It's a very good law school. It's excellent. And um, people should take a second look at it. I, I went to George Mason, so I'm always going to be rooting for my, for the Scalia, <laughs> for the Scalia, for the Scalia College of Law. But I don't know, <laughs> Stetson's a remarkable university. It's, it's a great place. And since you're from Spain originally, uh, yes. what do you think uh, a lot of Americans are, uh, uh, follow Spanish history, but what's so unique about Spain and the United States, because uh, if you ask a lot of my Spanish friends, they'll tell you, uh, and Nando de Soto and others, you know, they beat some other European powers over here. And I know you, yeah. you, you stay very current <laughs> on, you're very, you know the history. And so what can you share a little bit with our listeners who may not be as familiar about Spanish history with the United States, how, how far back it goes? Yeah, I mean, uh, people don't know that, but we founded the first city in the United States, San Agustin in Florida, you know? Uh, we arrived at the Grand Canyon and we competed with all these <laughs> tribes, you know, That's right. uh, we were the first European. We uh, founded the missions in, in California with Fray Junipero Serra. And um, also it's very important, even though these days in the United States, unfortunately, people are questioning more and more the legacy of Christopher Columbus and the Catholic King and, and Queen of Spain. We also, you know, uh, founded the first human rights. We protected indigenous people rights. And that's something I, I really like to highlight and defend because, um, as I said before, I went to the University of Arizona and they have a clinic for indigenous peoples, right? And sometimes they kind of like uh, want to sell the idea that um, Europeans, we came here and, you know, we destroyed so many lives. But, you know, we protected indigenous people, right? And we discovered, and, and by the way, in Florida, we have the first um, black settlement. So British soldiers, uh, black soldiers um, that were fighting with British empire, came to Spain because um, they were free. They, we, we had the first free uh, black slaves. So, you know, there's so much that people don't know. And, and uh, we started a project, it's called Spanish Heritage in the Americas with a historian, Antonio Moreno, and um, a commander, a former army general, because we think that um, the current trend is uh, to erase the Spanish history in the United States and in the Americas. And, and that's uh, very unfortunate because we really, you know, uh, made a difference in the world. You know, it's interesting. You, uh, we weren't going to talk about statues, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot because I'm in Virginia. Yes. And, you know, in Virginia, 
we were we were the capital of the Confederacy during the Civil War, and there were a lot. There's a lot of statues here, and you know the yes. whole sta the whole statue debate the last few years. It's not a new it's not a new phenomena, by the way. It's been going on for a long time, and and this is a good segue. We want to talk a little bit about Spain because there's certain things happening in Spain that are e eerily familiar to those of us here uh, because we've been having statue removals for a long time. And I'm glad you mentioned Columbus because this year throughout the United States, and even though here in Virginia, it's been a little more muted, but it's happened. They've removed dozens of Christopher Columbus statues uh, throughout the United States. And you know, how, how does that make you feel? when you see yeah. such a all this historical revisionism about uh, that important period in, in frankly, human history. Horrible, horrible. We went through a lot these past of couple months. And, um, you know, I was interviewed by newspapers in Poland, in Italy, Germany, the US. And um, they asked me, um, you know, about the removal of the statues and what was happening in the U.S. And, you know, first of all, I was a little bit disappointed with the White House because the proclamation of Christopher Columbus, they just mentioned Christopher Columbus a part of the Italian, you know, Italian heritage. And um, they're missing on the, you know, Spanish uh, legacy, the, the uh, queen and, and king of Spain financed the entire trip. This, you know, this was um, a navigator who was sponsored by by our country, and um, the the language that was spoken in the vessel was Spanish. So that was that was disappointing. But I gotta say that I was I was also very happy that you know the U.S. government and a lot of people in the U.S. defended the the, the Christopher Columbus statue. Um, sorry, legacy and, and the history. And, um, you know, my point is always the same. Why are you trying to erase history? You know, we made so many advances. Um, Spanish is the second most spoken language in the world. 500 million uh, people speak Spanish in the world. And uh, um, Hispanics have made a difference in, in the U.S. And, and I think it's very unfortunate. And I, I think this is something that needs to be addressed more Spanish, more Spanish and more Hispanics need to get involved in, in the whole movement and, and join forces with Italians and Europeans because our our history cannot be erased, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. And, and Maria, you probably know this, but uh, for the historical buffs out there and Washington um, monument uh, seekers who, who like to learn about this great city right across the river, uh, in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda, there are these four huge paintings, and one of them is a painting depicting Christopher Columbus and his crew landing on the beaches in, in, in the West Indies in, in 1492 on the uh, Santa Maria, and you can see the ship, and it, it goes through an important, it kind of, it's important part of U.S. history. You can't, you can't erase that, um, and uh, it shows the ignorance, frankly, of, of these radical uh, left uh, movements which are not unique to America. And so this is going to segue to certain things happening in Spain, which I think will inform us about things that are happening here. Uh, yeah. In Spain, what's happening over there? And we're going to take a quick break in about two minutes, but if you could set the scene up, yes. uh, what's happening in Spain where right now I've read pieces by you and other people where you pretty much call the president of Spain a socialist. In some cases, I've heard him called a communist. And this statue phenomenon, because it's happening in Spain too. So what's happening, if you could tell us briefly, and we'll come back after the break to talk in more detail about it. 
Yes. So basically, Spain has a government um, made out of two major political parties, um, the socialists and the communists, financed, by the way, by um, the late uh, president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, and the leaders of uh, Iran. You can imagine um, the mix has not done any good to you know, our country. And right now, what we're living is um, restrictions um, of human rights of basic you know, civil rights and taking advantage of the coronavirus, just like in any other country. But after the break, I will explain in detail what is going on because people really need to understand how it's also gonna impact South America or even the United States, this new government and the coalition. Well, great, great, Mario. So we'll be right back in a few minutes with Maria Herrera Mellado, an attorney in Miami, Florida, and we will pick up on Spain and then we'll jump into rule of law and Latin America. We'll be right back. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also uh, an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are, at any time. It's uh, distributed for you, so that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. We're back with Maria Herrera Mellado, an attorney, international attorney, currently working out of South Florida. Maria, when we took the break, you introduced the challenges of, uh, of, of these issues that we are having here are happening in, in Spain. And one of the points we want to leave our listeners with, especially those here in America, is that the, the up rising or the realignment, I like to call it a realignment of the American political scene, which has been taking place a long time, uh, that culminated, of course, with uh, uh, President Trump's election in 2016, uh, has been happening also in many countries around the world. And Spain in particular, I'm struck, if you could tell us a little bit more about who's running the country right now. And also, what is Vox? I mean, I know what Vox is, but share with our listeners who may have no idea what Vox is, what is Vox and what is their role in this new political uh, scene in Spain? Okay, so the, Span the new Spanish government um, is led by Pedro Sánchez. He is a socialist. Um, I mean, he's the leader of the Socialist Party in Spain and also Pablo Iglesias. Pablo Iglesias is the leader of Podemos, which is the uh, Communist Party in Spain, again, financed by uh, former Venezuelan leader Hugo Chavez and Iran. These people are also- So, so by the way, Maria, Maria yes. sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Did you, so you, just so our listeners are clear on this, you said the Communist Party of Spain. This is not 
uh, a political label. This is actually what they are, right? We're not we're not trying to label them communists. They are open communists, right? Yes, yes. So a lot of people are communists. Yeah. A lot no, of people a, here. Not a joke. Yeah, a lot of people here don't know that. They they think it's when, when we couple them as communists, they think that we're just exaggerating. Oh no, no, no. They they really are and they defend the the entire ideology and they're trying, you know, to um I mean is is the only government in Europe that actually has a communist, you know, leader in you know in the presidency. That's remarkable. That's, That's remarkable. A NATO a, a NATO ally Spain has to deal with this sort of leadership. Yeah, That's, he's the the vice president. <laughs> That's crazy. So, anyways, so keep going, keep going. Yeah. So the reason why these people um, are in government is because uh, for the past two or three elections, um, they they each individual party could not reach a majority, so they have to negotiate and enter into agreements. Uh, the most uh, troublesome and worrisome agreement is with the former terrorists in the País Vasco, you know, in northern Spain. These right. people who were uh, several times, um, you know, ruled as illegal party because uh, that's insane that former terrorists are part of the uh, parliament. They're now um, in, you know, in in agreement with the with the president of Spain, and that's because uh, they to approve the the budget in Spain, they they need their votes, and also um, they are in agreement with the same uh, parties that perpetrated the coup d'état in 2017 in Catalonia. So you know that's certainly a rule of law issue because um, they just unilaterally uh, declare Catalonia as an independent state and the European Union has to step in, everyone denouncing, even the United Nations got, you know, drawn into this conflict and uh, that's the result of so many years uh, that both the the center-right and the center-left were unable to fulfill people's, you know, desires and and commitment to, you know, to transparency and, and democracy. There have been so many scandals of corruption with both parties, Partido Popular and Partido Socialista. So that's when Vox uh, emerged. Vox started as a party. The person of Vox, Santiago Pascal, left the Popular Party because um, they had so many corruption cases in the organization, plus they were not defended conservative principles and values such as the right to life, secure borders, low taxes, you know, austerity programs. They were just, they, they, Santiago was really tired and him and other people uh, founded Vox in 2013. They went to the press in January 2014. And by 2018, when nobody believed this political party so small that nobody knew will do anything in Spanish politics, they struck the country when they uh, got 12 votes in Andalusia, my region in southern Spain, that for more than 30 years the socialists have been governing. And the latest episode of this socialist uh, po uh, party in, in southern Spain is that they stole and they were sentenced for stealing 680 million euros that came from the European Union and they were you know, fraudulently delivered and, and given to people who were never even you know, involved in the, in the training of uh, farmers or any other uh, European aid that 
those euros were committed to. So it's really, it's really scary. But Vox is, is doing better than anybody thought because they are, they will be like uh, the, the, between the Republican and the Tea Party. They are Trump's uh, kind of like in the same line of Trump, like uh, uh, defending conservative principle. They're not backing down. If we back down right now in Spain, we're losing the country. We are turning into a federation of states. We're turning into Switzerland. And the thing is, that's not the history of Spain. The only reason why they're doing it is because there is money to be received by the European Union. And, and let's not forget, that's the reason why the UK left the European Union. Too much yeah. regulations, too much corruption, and, and they don't respect sovereignty at all. Let me ask you something about rule of law in Spain, because Abascal said something a few months ago that struck me as uh, it was, you know, when you hear Spanish politicians speaking this way as an American, it's, como decimos en español, alucinante, no? It's kind of a, a little shock because we're not used to hearing Spanish politicians talk this way, but he said that what we want, and this is so plain that this is the shocking part, we just want rule of law. And that's what Iglesias fears because if we had rule of law, he'd end up in jail. So Santiago Lascar is asking for very simple things, very straightforward things. Uh, then this Iglesias fellow, the, the leader of the Communist Party out there, he comes back and he says, you, uh, you know, Vox wants to do a coup d'etat. So he uses this very coarse rhetoric, which we know is it's just a way to distract people from what's really happening. Has Spain reached a point, and I think you may have just answered the question, where it's, it's, it's now or never. You have to defend these fundamental rights. If you don't, they're going to be gobbled up by the European Union and Spain will cease to exist as a people, as a nation. Absolutely, 100%. And it's very surprising to see um, Cuban uh, citizens here in Miami telling Spanish citizens, this is exactly what Fidel did in Cuba. You cannot see it, but it's either now you, you know, you take it to the streets and you defend your country or you're going to see how you don't have freedom of expression, you don't have freedom of religion, you are going to be censored and the entire state you know, will take over the people. And, and, and this has been going on for the last couple of months, especially with coronavirus. I wrote an article in Panampos that was read by more than 30,000 people and, and we were warning you are losing every fundamental right. And let's not forget when uh, Santiago Pascal is asking for the rule of law is because the, the main uh, reason that Vox got so, um, so well supported in Spain is because we defended Catalonia and we took the secessionists to the Supreme Court and they lost, they have been incarcerated and these people had never had, uh, had never been challenged because the other parties were so corrupt, you know, that they, they'd rather let go a part of our country than fight for the unity and the rule of law to apply. And, and that's very unfortunate. And, and Iglesias, what Santiago said is absolutely true. He, he should be, you know, 
he has been investigated and he keeps stating that he has no fear. He, he shouldn't be in jail. But the truth is that he even stole the, the he even kept the, the SIM card of one of his advisors. She was a woman. And, um, and there has been so much information about what he had been doing illegally. A lot of people in his own political party have been sentenced for hate crimes. They, they, they defend wow. horrible wow. policies, Jay, so horrible. Wow. We could go on and on, and it will never end. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have you back because I could tell we have a lot to talk about, and we're only going to scratch the surface today about a few things. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned Cuba because this brings us to Latin America, and we'll set up the next segment by talking a little bit about this. You're an international lawyer. You advise companies on business risk. You see this happening globally. So you're obviously somebody who's anchored not only in the law and business, but you also have a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, you're very up to date and aware about the political trends. And we know that when we advise companies, uh, and I've done that throughout my legal career, uh, when you go into certain nations, you have to, you know, you have to look at a lot of things. Risk comes in many forms. Political risk, does the country have a stable legal system? How do you have an, you know, do you have an exit strategy? So when you sit back and you look at somebody coming to talk to you and saying, okay, I want to go do business in a place like Venezuela or in a place like Cuba, for example, what do you share with people knowing that you have this unique background that you can also share the, uh, the political risk? How do you tell them how to navigate those markets? And then we'll get into the politics in a minute. Well, I gotta say that I have very few clients <laughs> that want to invest in Venezuela or Cuba. <laughs> but, you know, a couple of years ago when I don't remember the name of the free zone in Cuba, what is it called? The um, El Puerto, El Puerto Mariel, Port of Mariel. Correct. The Port of Mariel. You know, they were announcing that it will be a free zone, free trade zone, and the people should start, you know, that Cuba was transitioning uh, through a democracy and all these fake propaganda, you know, that the Cuban government wants to put out there. Um, some European people were asking me that uh, if that would be great to invest in Cuba and have private properties because they have the perception that, you know, in Europe, they have this, you know, idea that um, Cuba is transitioning, that it's, it's free and that uh, it's great investment opportunity. As I, as I just said, you know, as an attorney, there's no exit strategy for for no one investing in this country, you know, if the, if the government wants to take your property or your investment and never say anything about it, that's it. You don't have, you know, you don't have a relieving court, you, you know, you don't have any chances. So why would you invest in any of this country? And it's, it's a shame, but, you know, the idea that they are transitioning of that uh, Venezuela is going to be a free country in the short term is, is ridiculous, you know. But, but unfortunately, Jason, the same thing is happening right now in Spain when people are asking me, you know, I want to buy a retirement home. I want to, you know, invest in Spain. Uh, we tell investors to wait. You know, this is not the time you want to go and invest because this political risk will be a, a serious burden and threat to investors. That must be very painful for you to say that as a as someone who was born in Spain, who obviously you love your country and, you know, I'm sure you have family there, to tell somebody you may want to reconsider investing in a country like Spain. That's quite remarkable. 
it's horrible because I have been advising people to buy properties, especially in Southern Spain and companies and building. And I organize uh, business forums in Granada and whoever visited Spain, especially Southern Spain is so beautiful and cheap compared to other, to other um, countries. But the thing is like right now, um, most you know, uh, advisors are telling them go to, to Portugal. And that is quite shocking because Portugal also has a socialist government. But Extremely, with the difference yes. That, yeah, that, but with the difference that they understand that they need to reduce taxes, that the rule of law needs to, you know, um, apply, and that they're not negotiating with former terrorists, secessionists, and they don't have communists in the presidency. So that's a big difference. When we come back, we're going to pick up here and talk a little bit more about the international movement that has roots uh, in Europe, but also in, in, in Latin America, and talk some more about what we didn't do, because we spent a long time ignoring the problems of Hugo Chavez, ignoring the problems of Fidel Castro when he was around, and how it's impacted this this business climate because it's it it is dislocating uh, when there is no you know when lawyers throw that term around rule of law we mean something very specific and we'll talk a little bit about that with Maria Herrera Mayala when we come back. Well, Maria, we've come into our last segment. Time has flown by, and we could probably keep talking for another hour. Um, before we get into the final, final segment, where we ask you, why should Americans focus on these issues? Tell us a little bit more about when, when lawyers throw that term around rule of law, and, and in our case, you know, defense of fundamental rights, free markets. Uh, why is it so important? You know, why is it that Spain seems to be struggling right now with basic fundamental rights issues? And what lesson is that here? Because you know, in the Western Hemisphere, for far too long. We've had uh, dictators in various countries, Nicaragua, uh, Venezuela, of course, Cuba since 1950s, who have completely ignored the rule of law, who completely ignore property, uh, private property rights, individual rights. They, they focus more, of course, on the collective, if you will. Why are all these things so important when we throw those terms around? Because we don't throw those terms around loosely, of course. Correct. Correct. For, so for those who don't understand what we meant, you know, to me, the rule of law is also the adherence to the principle of supremacy of the law, equality before the law, accountability to the law and separation of powers. And the reason why this is so important is because what we're witnessing right now in, in Spain and across the globe is, for example, the lack of transparency, you know, the lack of legal certainties. And, and, and that's, that impacts everything else you know it's very important as you said to to understand that if you don't have the the rule of law um that it's gonna it is it, probably gonna be something that affects us all because at the end of the day you know they start they they use whatever arbitrariness they want to reduce or to eliminate our fundamental rights and undermine private property and and it's it's really really sad what we're seeing because that also has gotten to the point where we don't believe in democracy anymore it's it's having an impact also on election that's why so many presidents not only president trump 
on, but so many administrations around the world are calling and paying attention to, you know, um, elections and, and voting fraud. You know, that's, that's also a consequence of not respecting the rule of law. What happens, you know, why is it that conservatives, you think, people on the center right of the political spectrum, why do you think they are attacked more and they're vilified because they say some pretty horrible things about Vox, very similar to what they say about Republicans in the United States. Or if you go to Brazil and you look at Bolsonaro's movement and uh, what Bolsonaro has been able to build in, in the region, uh, it's constant. What are they scared of? They're scared of the truth. We know that. They, they, they're scared of sunshine. Uh, but why do you think that happens? I think, first of all, the left is united. You know, you see the Foro Sao Paulo, Foro Puebla right now. They don't care. They don't care about anything. They just care about moving forward with their crazy agenda. And, you know, uh, they're scared of losing the amount of government aid for any, you know, any idea they have. They're flooded with money. In Spain, we have the feminists, which, by the way, I wish they would be feminists, but they're not feminists, they're supremacists. And I gotta say that, and I'm sorry, I'm a woman, but they, these people don't represent me. They, they aim at the elimination of the males, you know? And that's, I, I can't believe we turn into, into this country in such a short time. They also, um, the, this is the result of the indoctrination of, the, of young people at the university level. And I know you mentioned that um, some uh, young people listen to this podcast, and I'm glad because that's, that's key, you know. They are so afraid. Our teenagers are so afraid to speak up in high school, to speak up in the university, because if, if you defend uh, even your father, there, there was a, there was a, um, uh, a cartel, there was a, not a cartel, but there was like a, um, an announcement in Spain last week about uh, how you should not, you know, uh, follow the example of your father, meaning, you know, wow. he's a male. And, wow. and, and this, we, we got to this point where they want to destroy the family, the nations, traditions, they want to erase history and they don't care about anything. You know, they sign these agreements with the devil. Now they're right. We are not united. And that's, that has to change. That's why here in Miami and across, you know, the Hispan American working on having a Hispanic conservative movement, because we even saw last week how these people, or sorry, in January, how they created this, this pack, you know, in the United States right. just to, remove Donald Trump. So their, their, their goals are clear, you know, is the destruction of the Western civilization, the family, and everything that represents people of faith. That, that to me is clear. And let me ask you, before we wrap up, I just want to, you said something that was interesting. I mean, you obviously are, you know, you're educated, you're, 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 you have a, a career, you, you're, you know, nation focused, nation centric, you're defending fundamental rights. I mean, I've seen what you've said before about feminism, but explain briefly, because you're, you know, you, Spain to me has always had a strong culture of uh, women and men being at the forefront of important policy debates. Where are these feminist groups coming from? Because you just said these people want to eliminate males. What, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, they were, they, have, they were having protests in Madrid and they were saying, you know, Madrid will be, you know, the, the, the place where Santiago Pascal uh, will be found dead. 
That's wow. what they said, you know, wow. because he's a conservative leader. These women, um, they think that the problem with, um, with Spain is the white male, the Spanish male. And that's, that it's hard to swallow, but we have gotten to this point. They will never, never, ever criticize, you know, Islamic terrorists who are decapitating and killing other women in France last week. They will never complain about women's rights, you know, the elimination of women's rights or restriction of women's rights in, in Saudi, Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia or right. Qatar. But they have the guts to tell that the reason why Spain is dealing with corruption and, and we don't have the rule of law in Spain is because of males. And we have seen the same thing also in the United States. How can you explain that Amy Coney Barrett was nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court, a woman with seven children, two adopted, the, the, which will be the symbol of feminism. And you have thousands of women in the street telling people that this is outrageous. It's, it's the world I mean, is completely upside down. I mean, you, you sound like, I guess, a modern day feminist. I mean, you're an activist woman. Although you, I think you would agree that we don't really make the distinctions and conservatives never do. I mean, men and women, we fight together in different capacities and, we, right. res and we respect our uniqueness. And looking at someone uh, for their differences is not really in the DNA of a true conservative. I mean, we look at people equally, no matter what their background is, and you just uh, form yourself with your God-given rights and freedom and liberty, and you just want government off your back, not telling you what to do. And the it sounds to me like Spain is entering a phase where America has been at for a long time. And frankly, our friends right here in Latin America, we have some battles to wage in places like Guatemala, in places yes. like Honduras, I mean, uh, places, um, even in Mexico, we've been in contact with some Mexican politicians, uh, center-right politicians, uh, in, in the Spanish, uh, excuse me, in the Mexican Senate, they're waging the very same battles that I'm hearing you say are being waged in places like Spain and places like Latin America that have, for example, very uh, life-centric constitutions. They want to destroy those things. So in this hemisphere where America and Spain share such a unique role together, what's your message as we wrap up? And Maria, I hope you'll come back. We want to have you back. But um, as we wrap this podcast up, what message do you have for American listeners of this podcast? Why should, frankly, why should anyone uh, in, engage in this type of a discussion or learn about what's happening uh, right over the border with Mexico or in Cuba? Why is, it, why is it so important to remain engaged in the global space as conservatives? Correct. So I think, you know, we have seen the effects of massive illegal immigration and these caravans organized by the left you know, all the way from back from Honduras and what they do, you know, we're overwhelmed once, uh, for example, immigrants are persecuted in the countries or not got here. We don't have the, for example, the facilities and capabilities to, you know, to host them and treat them maybe as they should. But, you know, I think uh, if you have a political turmoil in Venezuela and Cuba, that means millions of Hispanics, Cuban, Venezuelans, Nicaraguas will cross uh, each border to get all the way to the United States. And, and, and frankly, that's, that's uh, really unfortunately, but we, have, we need law and order in every case and in every country. And 
for Americans to understand that it doesn't matter if you, you know, if this administration orders so many sanctions and try to, to fight um, uh, drug dealing and human trafficking, when you have an ally in Spain where people are entering with uh, 17 suitcases full of gold and drugs and, and, and Spanish government is an ally of, of Venezuelan narco dictators and Cuba. We have a problem. There is no way to solve these human rights issues and you know, political uh, problems in the Western hemisphere if these people have an easy escape, which is right now Spain. You know, it's interesting you say that and as we wrap up, it's an um, important topic because if we wanted to, and I'm convinced if Spain had worked together with the United States, really worked with them, we could have the last two or three years helped so many people in Venezuela, helped so many people in Cuba, helped so many people in other countries. But, but the leaders of Spain chose to work with the bad guys. Correct. And it's a very twisted, I mean, this is a NATO ally, folks. We, we, we share weapons, we share, we, we collaborate together, our soldiers train together, and we cannot get Spain sometimes to cooperate with us on, on Venezuela, for example. And mm-hmm. as Maria laid out, um, most people love where they live. They don't want to move around. But when they're faced with these dictatorships and these horrible governments that abuse fundamental rights and steal property, where are they going to go? They, they want to come here. And, and we welcome them here legally, of course. And, and but we have to be working to, you know, help people build robust societies where they are. And we can't do that if the people in the world who are supposed to be defending fundamental rights and property rights can't cooperate together. Correct. Well, Maria, Maria Herrera Mayalo, this has uh, been a fascinating conversation. I hope you'll consider coming back because I think we 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 should we should keep the conversation going. And if you have friends in Spain who want to join us, please. They have a, always have a home with the Global Liberty Alliance. So we, we, we appreciate your time today with us from Miami. Thank you so much, Jason. You, you guys do a great job and I want to congratulate you on, on your most recent awards. We're Thank very you well very deserved. much. Hello, it's Jason with the Global Liberty Alliance. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Before we wrap up the last segment, I want to just share with you two brief uh, announcements. First, thank you. Thank you for uh, your support, for your questions, for listening, for sending us so many suggestions for guests and for uh, topics. We will continue to read them and please keep them coming. So on behalf of Arthur, Cara, Mariana, Mauricio, Veronica, our network of lawyers and independent, uh, you know, civil society leaders in the places we work, thank you for listening and for uh, expressing uh, the enthusiasm for some of the work that they are doing uh, in Latin America and hopefully soon in other places. Second, in order to expand our work, we need your support. So please consider investing. Uh, Please consider uh, putting some of your Uh, Sweat equity, if you want, we can put you to work, but we also need your money. We need your support. Consider investing. There's many ways to give. Uh, Look and learn more about it at our website at www.globallibertyalliance.org. That's www.globallibertyalliance.org. You can click on the invest button, and you can also check some of the work we're doing. 
keep in mind that's just a example of some of the work uh, we've done that we continue to do. And if you'd like to learn more, uh, please contact us. Let's get back to the show. Thank you very much.